from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here in Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We are on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter, and we are here with the dream team, Michelle and Dion, in the engineering room with you throughout the hour if it's noon on Thursday, give us a call now. We'd love to take your questions. 1-844-WHARTON, 1-844-942-7866. And we've got a great show today. We're very excited to be welcoming Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. the evil HR lady, to the show. Suzanne spent 10 years in corporate human resources where she's hired, fired, managed the numbers, and double-checked with the lawyers. Her clients include Inc.com, CBS, Money Watch, Business.com and Comstock Magazine, where she writes five to six articles each week on career growth, managing people, and managing difficult situations. We're so excited to have you on Career Talk, Suzanne. Welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm really excited to be here. So so can I call you the evil HR lady throughout the show? You, you can. <laughs> that is self-branding, by the way. That is not a name <laughs> that I've made up for you. This is this is your, your self-brand, and I think it's brilliant. And hey, if you've always had a question you wanted to ask HR, you really want to know what goes on behind the scenes, Give us a call throughout the hour at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. We are taking your calls now. So, Suzanne, how did how did you self-brand as the, the evil HR lady? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you had a warm and fuzzy interaction with your HR department? Yeah, I'm going to decline answering that, but... <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, a lot of people have bad feelings towards HR, and there are some very good reasons for that. HR screws up in major ways sometimes. But some of that is just because we're the ones that get stuck with the bad news. Like finance, they come up with the budget for raises, but HR delivers the news. So who do you get mad at? Not the head of finance when your raise is, you know, 1.3%. You're like, wow, HR is horrible. I only got this tiny raise. Well, they gave us the money. We're just the ones that deliver the news. So we shoot the messenger. So right. So so it, it and that's not just the case with finance. I mean, you guys have policies that you need to enforce. So you guys are are known as the policy enforcers. And even though you may not create them, you're the ones who are always telling us what we need to do. So you inherently become the bad guy. Exactly. And some of those policies come from the government. You know, when when we're asking about your race on an application form, it's not because we're nosy. It's because the federal government has declared we have to say that. And if you don't tell us, then we have to make our best guess as to your race so that can, we can report that to the federal government. So it's not like those things come from from outside. We get to enforce it. You know, the... Sure, HR usually has a big hand in developing a dress code, but if the CEO says, you know, everybody has to wear, you know, suit jackets, even though it's July and 90 degrees out, we can push back against him, but eventually we have to say, okay, and enforce that. So, so you guys just become 
evil HR, as you've self-branded. Uh, it's funny because I'm just thinking of a recent situation where legislation changed on travel reimbursement. And the fact is that if you are traveling within one day, even if it's a 20-hour trip, now you can't get meals reimbursed. And of course, that came from from you know federal policy and everything. But yes, we blamed HR for that. <laughs> of course, you didn't. I didn't hear about that. That's awful. <laughs> So yeah, you're in a tough job. Hey, if you're listening and you've always wondered what's going on behind the scenes and you have a question for the Evil HR lady, we are going to be candid and answering those questions throughout the hour. So give us a call now at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Suzanne Lucas, aka the Evil HR lady. So okay, I have a bunch of questions that I'm going to just kick off with. So let's talk about this applicant tracking system. Basically, every resume that you get just being weeded out and never even getting to anybody. Are are you even looking at the the resumes that come through online? You know, this is a serious problem. And there was a, a case a while ago where an engineering firm wanted to hire a new engineer, they got 1,200 applicants, and the computer said none of them were qualified. Whoa. Now, <laughs> I, I, I got it. That actually came from a Wharton study, by the way. Um, I got to say, that's impossible. If you took 1,200 random people out of the phone book, not that we have phone books anymore. Uh, <laughs> I feel you, though. I, I used to use a phone book. Facebook friends, you'd probably find someone that could have done that, right? Um, there are problems with the applicant tra- tracking systems being a black hole. And some of that is the way the system is set up, and some of that is that we have come to this idea that we need perfection before we hire. So basically, what do you recommend if somebody's going to apply to a job? Should they find the recruiter and email directly? Should they still go through the process? How do they get around this? Well, it's hard. Um, the higher up the food chain you are, the easier it is to go around. Um, if you're applying for you know, a cashier job at the grocery store, they're going to ask you to fill out a little online application on a kiosk, and that's just how it is. There's no way around it. If you're applying to be you know, a senior vice president of a Fortune 100 company, you're going to do that through your connections anyway, and a headhunter would have been recruiting you. So you know, those are the opposite ends of the scale. But if you can get someone within the company to personally recommend you, that will at least have the recruiter take a look at your resume or have the hiring manager take a look at the resume. And that can be really critical. And that's why networking is so important. Oh, you said the magic word. And and that's also, Suzanne, why a lot of companies have employer referral systems, because they want to encourage people to, to bring in great employees. Right, right. And it's it's great for the company and it's great for the employees because if if I've worked with someone, you know, for four or five years and then I move to a new company or they move to a new company or whatever and my company says, Oh, we need somebody that has lots of experience doing HR databases Well, I can tell you right now, I've got a list of three people who are fantastic at that. I've worked with them before. You know, I know they're not slackers. I know that their personality will fit in. I know that they're capable of doing the work. And that's a lot safer hire than someone who's written a resume saying that they can do the work. You know, they've got a personal witness that this person is 
can do it. And that's really great for companies. Yep. And you are making the case for networking. And I will tell you every time that you are going to have less competition most of the time because, hey, if you've got three great candidates, why are you even going to post the job? (laughs) Right. And this is another little secret of job hiring that job candidates never think about is that the hiring manager is desperate to hire you because if they hire you, then they're done recruiting and they can get back to work. <laughs> so if you're the right person, then that is great. And let's get you on as soon as possible. So you, you have less competition, maybe even a little bit more latitude to negotiate a, a higher salary. And they want to get you on and get you get you in. Let's. I want to come back to salary, but let, let's talk about that automated email that you do get when you apply online. Like, well, thank you for applying. We'll keep your your resume on file for six months and call you if anything comes that's a match. That's BS, right? That doesn't happen. Uh, Well, (laughs) it it does and it doesn't because most most applicant tracking systems are set up to automatically send out that email. Like, that just comes, right? But it's it's not based on the quality of your resume or job openings or anything. It's just that you hit submit and there it goes. So that is real, but the whole six months thing. <laughs> do, yeah. do you do here? Do you ever go back and say, I have a job, I'm going to look at people who've applied before? Yes, that does happen. But usually when that happens, what the situation is, is we posted a job. Right, And then we interview a bunch of people, and for whatever reason, the job doesn't work out. Budget got cut, um, headcount got cut, uh, you know, the, the boss wants to bring his nephew in to the position, and that person ends up failing. And so then three, four, five months later, the position opens up again. That's when you go back and look. But generally, the people that they're going to go back and look at are the people that they interviewed the first time around. The people that just applied the first time around, it's possible. They're still on the system, but it's not likely. And that's not completely illogical. Most job searches don't last six months. Um, And so... If it's been six, seven, eight months since you applied, the assumption is you already have your new job, so you're not interested in changing. So don't rely on that as a strategy. That's a that's an automated message that comes from the friendly applicant tracking system. And let's talk about ghosting, though. Ghosting is so popular, and it, it kills me because people apply. They may even get a phone screen, or they may even have an in-person interview, and then they never hear from the company again. They're thinking, wow, things went well. Um, I went to my second interview. What is going on, Suzanne? This is the one thing that I cannot understand. Why companies, why HR allows this to happen because it is so rude. It is it's rude. So rude. I mean, people have their hopes up. They want to join this company. They're excited. They're telling their family and friends. And then two weeks later, everyone's asking, well, what happened with, with the company? Well, I've never never heard from them. And well, well what's going on? It's Yeah, this is somebody's life we're talking about. It is, it is so rude. And I mean, I can tell you why it happens. Recruiters are... They work a lot. Um, they're not just recruiting for one position. Some of them have, you know, 20, 30, 40 jobs that they're trying to fill. 
Um, and they're also generally responsible for the onboarding process, so they've got to be doing all the background checks, all the reference checks, um, getting everybody's health insurance set up. They've got all of this work. So it's not that the recruiters are these horrible slackers, but it's because recruiters and HR hasn't prioritized candidates. It's, it's this mindset that we are doing you this great service by interviewing you. And, you know, if you are blessed, we will hire you, but otherwise you're not worthy of our time. And the message that sends is that this company stinks. And I don't think, I, I don't know why the heads of HR aren't horrified by this, that why they don't say, oh, my gosh, this is horrible marketing for our company. Because even if we don't hire you, we've now put a bad taste in your mouth about our company. Completely, and, yeah. And the thing is, is that you're going to get a job somewhere else. And, you know, maybe you're someone, maybe maybe our company is, you know, a firm that provides services to other companies. And now we've treated you horribly. And so you will get a job at another company in a role where you're supposed to hire a vendor. Well, are we going to be on your list? No. <laughs> because we treated you poorly. And for some reason, there's a huge disconnect between HR and marketing and even the CEO, and they just think candidates can be treated horribly. And they do treat candidates horribly. Yes. Yeah, so if you're listening and this has happened to you, know that it is it is it it is feels incredibly personal and it is, but this is happening everywhere. It's not something that you did or that you just missed their email and it went to spam. This is universally poor recruiting practices. So hey, if you've been ghosted and want to share your experience, we'd love to hear about it. one 844 wharton That's one 844 Or maybe you're an HR employee and you want to debunk a myth that many have about HR representatives. You can give us a call. We're taking your calls now at one 844 wharton 844-942-7866. So I'm going to go to a little bit of a controversial <laughs> topic. I did some exploring and, and got some of this insider secret information that HR doesn't tell anybody. And I, I would love to get your opinion, Suzanne, on what really happened. So so here's one of the things that I read, and I'm, I'm kind of trying to decide, are these really true? So a lot of managers don't want to hire people with young kids, and they use all sorts of tricks to find that out illegally. So we know they can't ask you that question, but here's an example of one HR rep kept a picture of two really cute children on her desk, even though she didn't have children, hoping the candidates would ask about them. And another guy walked people out to the car to see if they had car seats, and then they used this information to make a hiring decision. I mean, what are you, is this happening? I am sure it does. Here's a little bit of trivia. It's perfectly legal to not hire people without children, um, to say we only want childless people. But what's not legal is to not hire women because they have children while you're hiring men who have children. And most businesses have no problem hiring Bob with his five kids because the assumption is, is that his wife is going to be taking care of the kids. But they don't want to hire Karen with her five kids because the assumption is that her husband is working. So it goes back to the, you know, 1950s sexism. So technically you could have a child-free company because there's no law against 
So you can literally say to somebody, we've we've chosen another candidate who does not have children. As long as nobody in your company has kids. Wow. <laughs> but does that happen? Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's pretty rare unless you have a very, it, very small company. I mean, for practical purposes, it's never going to happen, you know, unless it's, you know, employee with company with two people. Um, because people reproduce, they just do. We do that. <laughs> They just do. It doesn't surprise me that um, that there are some managers out there that don't want people, and especially women, with children. Because let's face it, kids can take you away from um, from work. But so, it is true that there are lots of other things that can take you away from work. I mean, right now, Pokemon is taking everybody away from work. <laughs> You don't have to have kids, but but that is really interesting. I did not realize that 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 can be a legitimate reason if you can back it up with with the other um, factors of of the fact that none of your employees have kids. We're going to Bob in Pennsylvania. Bob, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Well, thanks for taking my call. Uh, what I was thinking about when you were talking about app, first applicant tracking systems. Uh, I'm a recruiter, a recruiting consultant, now placement consultant. And sometimes I think I think what happens in job descriptions is there are far too many details that are in there, maybe 10 must-haves, where, in my opinion, maybe there should be three or four. And if those if those words in the resumes don't come across, people just get kicked out. And um, I see that a lot. And when I'm advising people on the outplacement side, I tell them almost never send what I call a cold resume. And a cold resume is sending it based off some uh, internet job posting. And I, I tell them it's, it's frustrating. And the thing you want to do is use your network to try to get someone to uh, use your name or pass your resume along. That's not always possible, but I talk to people that are extremely frustrated that either get no response or get that automated email response and nothing ever happened. Um, so, I, I mean, those are my thoughts and, and I've seen it happen over and over again. And um, so I, I, try as hard as I can to say, please don't send a cold resume. I know it takes a little more time, but find someone who can get you connected. And then your resume will go in what I call the looked in file. And um, even if you don't pass all those various screens that are in the applicant tracking system, because you probably won't, you'll at least get looked at by a human being and and be taken seriously. Bob, I agree with you. I'm all about use your network. And if you don't have one who's willing to pass your resume along and you need to apply online, find somebody, whether it's a second level contact who might be able to give you some some insider information or shepherd that resume once it's in there. And here's why. And, And Suzanne, I'd be interested in your opinion on this. I feel like applying online is one, you've got the applicant tracking system, which, as Bob mentioned, depending on how strict they set it up, 1,200 resumes come in and nobody is qualified. So that's one. But but two, a lot of companies leave jobs out there that have been long filled or maybe there's a hiring freeze, but no one takes the job down. Or maybe they're doing, um, you know, an, an, an exclusive confidential search. So these jobs never – the good jobs never show up online. There's so many things that could be – possible when you're applying online that means you'll never get called that has nothing to do with you or your skills or your resume but just the fact that all the, the ceo's nephew that's one i love the ceo's nephew <laughs> graduates needs a job and there it goes 
the job's filled, you never know about it, and you're thinking, wow, I was a great match for this. I can't believe I didn't get called. You start to feel bad. I mean, these things are happening, right? They happen. They happen all the time. And Bob brought up something that was a really good point. On the whole perfection thing, they'll list 10 qualifications, and nobody has all 10 of those. But we have in our heads, and we program the machines to say, well, we need these 10 things. And I had somebody write me. She was very frustrated. She had um, five years of experience doing um, career counseling for graduate students. And she was applying to a new university to work for their undergraduate career counseling. And she didn't get an interview. And finally, she found a connection and found out the reason why is because the qualification had said, you know, three or more years of undergraduate job counseling experience. Well, she had more than that, but it's with graduate students instead of undergraduates. So the computer couldn't see that she had the right experience. And so she didn't even get an interview, even though she could have done a bang-up job with the job. But because the experience was slightly different, and, you know, a good recruiter will know to look, you know, at more keywords there but, but yes it's a not. computer can't you can't train a computer no, to to do it. that maybe you can but i can't uh, yeah at some point in the future we can but bob thank you for giving us a call on career talk always great points and we would love to hear your opinion have you experienced challenges with hr or do you want to know what's going on behind the scenes or maybe you are in hr and you want to provide some helpful advice to to our listeners our job seekers out there you can give us a call we're taking your calls now 1-844 Wharton that's 844 844- 942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Suzanne Lucas, aka the evil HR lady. So, okay, back to the back to the slightly controversial things I've I've found online. So back to bias. So if a woman is interviewing while she's pregnant, is this something, Suzanne, that you recommend she disclose or not? All right, this is tricky because it is 100% illegal for a business to consider your pregnancy when they're making the hiring decision. So I advise people, if you're not showing, to not say a word because it can only go badly for you, right? But on the other hand, do you want to work for someone that doesn't want you to be there once they find out that you're pregnant. You know, and that's the problem with discrimination is that we can get around um, and the discrimination by, you know, hiding the pregnancy and wearing a loose jacket. But then when you get the job, you're stuck with a boss that didn't want you. Now, that boss should be the one that's fired, but that's not generally how it works out. So do you disclose, as I said, I say never disclose unless you're, you know, obviously pregnant um, until the negotiation phase, after they've made you an offer. And then if they pull the offer, you have a clear case of pregnancy discrimination and you can call the EEOC and they'll have their head planted to them on a platter. But otherwise, yeah, I, I would I would keep it, I would keep it quiet just because 
you're going to lose out on the job. And I don't think it's necessarily that people are horrible people, although some people are. <laughs> it's that here I am, I'm a manager, right? I got five people that work for me. I have a vacancy. I'm looking to bring someone on board. I hire you. You come in. Two weeks later, you're in my office saying, oh, by the way, I'm going to have a baby in December and I'll be gone for, you know, however long. Um, under under U.S. law, they don't have to give you the 12 weeks of FMLA if you're worked there less than a year. So generally, you know, six weeks for a vaginal birth and eight weeks for a C-section. And and I may be excited because, you know what, I like kids, and I was babysitting my cute little baby nephew this morning, and he's so adorable. But now I've just filled the position, and then you're going to be gone. And now what do I do? And so I think subconsciously when we're interviewing, we're like, oh, well, she won't work out. And our brains don't go because she's pregnant. We just go, she won't work out. And it's our subconscious going in because there are problems when someone goes out on maternity leave. I mean, we... we you have to be honest about that. It's a pain for everybody left behind. But it it should be something that we don't consider at all. But I think everybody kind of does subconsciously. So here's another one that I where I looked up. Um, so the bottom line on it is don't don't tell <laughs> for that one. How about yeah. this one? Um, once you're unemployed more than six months, HR assumes that you're unemployable and just pass you over. Is this happening? Oh yes, this is happening. Um, and some companies have flat out policies that they won't hire someone that's not employed. Can they have I, that, that policy? Is that, is that like a legal policy to say? It, um, it is legal. Um, it is not nice. New Jersey was trying to make it illegal. I don't know whether they succeeded or not. That's bad. I should know that. Um, but lots of of companies, they don't want that. And that's actually a sign of sloppy, lazy recruiting. Um because what they're doing is they're using what's called a proxy. So if you have a job, then I can say, oh, you know, hey, Dawn, she has a job, so she must be a quality person. And I don't have to do an extensive background check on you because I'm just assuming that if your current boss likes you, then you must be fine. But then if you don't have a job in my lazy recruiting, I'm like, ah, she doesn't have a job. I bet she got fired. I bet she was horrible. I'm not going to hire her. And... It saves me the time of doing an extensive background check, but you lose a lot of great people that way. So, okay, I, here's my question then. I mean, obviously, 2008 was a was a rough time, and you know, people get laid off, and companies are going through changes all the time. Sometimes, I mean, you wanna you want the job you want in six months. Maybe you've taken time off to help a, an ill parent. I mean, there's so many reasons. So, how does somebody get around this? I mean, you you can't lie on your resume and create a job that didn't exist. So, I mean, what do people do in this case? Well, some people do lie. Um, you'll you might notice if you look on LinkedIn, there's a plethora of people that are doing consulting. Yes. So, so okay. That can't identify an actual client. Got it. <laughs> um, you know, and that's a that's one thing that people try. But the way around it is the same way to, as it is to avoid the applicant tracking system, and that is to to network your way in. And your best bet on those aren't necessarily networking with your next door neighbor, although that works. 
but that's networking with your previous coworkers and previous bosses. And this is something that people don't think about, and previous direct reports. You know, I have some former bosses who I would jump at the chance to work for again. So, you know, if they they were looking for a job, they would be foolish not to to connect with me, although I'm, I'm not hiring and I'm self-employed, but if I was, <laughs> was working in a company, because I could give a stellar recommendation for, for some of these people that I've worked for, you know, you've got to do that networking, and that can get you around this silly rule of we're not hiring people that are currently unemployed. So I have a lot of other questions I want to get to. This is really insightful. I want to know if HR is obligated to keep what I tell them confidential. I want to know what you guys are doing with background checks and, you know, these lies on on resumes and are they forgivable and how do candidates get around this? So lots and lots to talk about in the second half of the show. But hey, if you've got a question for the evil HR lady, aka Suzanne Lucas, we're taking your calls throughout the hour at one eight four four Wharton. One eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, or you can also tweet your questions to at bizradio one eleven. But right now, we are going to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. Okay, according to a survey of over twenty one hundred hiring managers and human resources managers. The top three most common productivity killers in the workplace are, number one, cell phones and texting, number two, the internet, and number three, what is it? What is the number three most common productivity killer in the workplace? If you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111.
You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. And welcome back to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We are here with Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. the Evil HR Lady. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And throughout the hour, we are talking about all of those insider secrets that go on behind the scenes that HR may not want you to know. And we are going to go directly to a call from Jerry in Pennsylvania. Jerry, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? Hi, yeah, great show. Uh, trying to help an individual out as a, uh, an interview, I think it's final interview in front of a committee. Uh, just uh, some background information. The individual has had, uh, over the past five years, two positions, but he's gone in at the high end, and whenever there's been some uh, change within the organization, he's lost his job twice. But he's qualified, but he has this uh, interview in front of a committee. I'm just wondering some possible questions that may come up to help him get through this final interview. So, Jerry, is your question specifically related to the fact that, that he's going to have to answer that question when you're looking at your yeah. resume? Why'd you leave these jobs and why do you have a gap on your resume? Right. Exactly. So, Suzanne, we were just talking about this and the fact is he's made it to the interview. So that initial bias of not getting to the interview has been overcome. But clearly this is still a concern for HR, because subconsciously you're thinking, well, if you've gotten laid off twice and you've had a gap, that that maybe there's some underlying red flags that we're not seeing. How would you recommend that Jerry help his friend get through this final interview to get the job? So these are very, very good things to think about. The first thing that he wants to do is be able to talk about the layoffs themselves. Now, if he's lucky, I mean, Lucky is the wrong word. But if he's lucky, he was laid off with a whole bunch of people because it's it's far more logical to say it wasn't my fault when there was 300 people let go as compared to, well, they called it a layoff, but I was the only person. So if there was lots of people let go... That's a good thing to bring up at the at the time, um, and and that's actually fairly common with layoffs. They like to do it in group. And I said three hundred people or something, but really, even if there was five people let go at the same time, that's better than just the one. So hopefully, that's the case with him. And if that is, he can he can say it. If he's just the one, being able to explain why, and actually, this is true with everything, uh, even if it was a big group layoff. Um, being able to explain why he was chosen is also good. Now, that doesn't mean saying, oh, well, they picked me because I was the worst person. You don't want to say that. That does not go over well, even if it's true. But, for instance, um, you know, I, I lived for years in Philadelphia, and I worked in pharma. And one pharma company that I worked for, we stopped doing research in a particular area. Every single person on that research team lost their job. So if that person's in an interview and they say, well, why did you get laid off from this pharma company, to be able to say, I was laid off because I was working on the following product, the company decided not to go forward with that. That gives a strong reason as to it's not me. 
it's the company. So if that's something that he can say, that's good too. If those aren't things that they can say, he needs to be able to think of an answer to explain. He also needs to be able to explain what he's been doing with his time since he got laid off. And I don't know how long of a gap there's been. If it's just a few weeks, it's not a big deal. If it's been six months, he needs to be able to say something more than just looking for a job. Um, you know, volunteering or, or taking a course or anything is is helpful in that area. But the most important thing is to be able to explain what happened. And if he has references from people he worked with at those companies, that is also awesome, especially if a former boss is willing to speak in his behalf as well. References can go a long way. I completely agree with you, Suzanne. And um, something I'm going to add to that is, I'm going to put my psychologist hat on for a second, and I will say this, confidence breeds confidence. And We've we've all been in situations that in our past that we, we feel uncomfortable explaining whether that's a layoff or other situation. But I think what is going to be super helpful for your friend is one, to recognize that that these situations happened. It's a part of, of the natural work process and to not go in defensive or trying to apologize or or over explain and give too much information. I, I always tell people in this situation, talk about it like you're talking about what you had for dinner last night. Be matter of fact. Give them enough information that they get their answer and can move on and talk about now I'm looking to. So an example in this case might be to to tag on to Suzanne's recommendations. I was working on a project the, the project got canceled, so all 30 people in the department were let go. I learned X, Y, and Z, and now I'm excited to be able to have the opportunity to take this into your organization and help you with this project. Can you tell me a little bit more about what the goals are for that project? And so moving that conversation forward, not being defensive, not being apologetic, if there's a gap, simply saying that you acknowledging you had the gap here are the things I did to further my skills during that time and I'm very excited to be able to take these skills and apply it in in your organization and again the references will help it's that confidence that hey I bring valuable things to the table these things happened I'm not going to apologize for them I'm going to explain them but then we're going to move on and talk about what we really want to get to in the interview which is can I do this job and will I be a good employee so that's one additional piece of advice that I would add. Jerry, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. We wish all the best to your friend and, and definitely uh, let us know what happens. We are here throughout the hour at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And we're going to go to Mark in Texas. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. What's your question? Uh, yes, um, I uh, was listening earlier and you had... Uh... Um, kind of slammed the HR departments and employers for not calling back and telling people whether or not they had a job or not. And uh, I just had a question to that question. Yeah. Um, How many applicants take the time to call an employer or an HR department back to say, um, you can take my name off the list, I've accepted a job with someone else? Ooh, interesting question. Tables are turning. <laughs> Suzanne, how many people are calling to say, take me out of the running? Some people do. I don't have any solid numbers, but um, I think people are far more inclined to do that 
than the recruiters are to get back with them just because the numbers are, are, are switched. A recruiter is dealing with, you know, 300 candidates at a time, whereas a job candidate is dealing with two or three or maybe four companies at a time. So there, there's um, a difference in relationship there. Plus, I think people are not telling because they are used to the companies not getting back to them. So if the recruiter hasn't gotten back to you, you just assume you haven't gotten the job, so why should I bother to call them and tell them I'm going with somebody else? So I think the behavior of the companies is causing their rudeness is causing the employee, the candidates, to be rude. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you, there is a good reason to do that if you're in a job search. If you've had a, a series of interviews and you've built some relationships and this is a company you'd consider working for in the future, I think closing this out professionally is going to be to your advantage because maybe you're not accepting this job, but who knows five years from now if this might be a company that you would consider again. So sending a, a, a brief email or depending on your relationship, a phone call saying, hey, I've really enjoyed meeting everybody. This has been a great process. It was a tough choice, but I've decided to go with XYZ Company. I hope we can stay in touch. We'll go very far in future opportunities. And I think people need to think about that. You know, don't burn bridges. You never know. It's a small world. People come back around. But Mark, interesting question. I love it. Thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. It's Thursday. We're taking your calls throughout the hour. 1-844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866. And we are here with the evil HR lady, a.k.a. Suzanne Lucas, talking about all of the secrets that go on behind the scenes. So I have a lot of questions I, I want to get to about, you know, is HR keeping things confidential? Are you really doing background checks? I left my last company on a, a less than positive note, so can my employer sabotage? I mean, there's all these really exciting things, Suzanne, we have to talk about. But before we do that... I have to give the answer to the pre-break quiz. So the question out there was, according to a survey of over 2,100 hiring and human resources managers, the top three most common productivity killers in the workplace are cell phones and texting at 52%, the internet at 44%, and what is the number three productivity killer in the workplace? Dion, bring on. What's your answer? You always come to me first. I do, you, I you do. Know I'm always wrong. <laughs> I'm so mad that you go to him first because I'm afraid he's going to take my answer right I, 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 Yeah, there's so many answers. I'm going to say office chatter. <laughs> office chatter. You know what, Dion? I think this may be like Wait. the first time in history. Am I dun, right? dun, dun. The answer is gossip. Woohoo! So, Yay. yeah. <laughs> Dion's hands was, just went up in the air. Exactly. Go, and, Dion. And then, Dion's and like, I, I realized I was, I was on radio. I have to say something. And you have to hit the button. <laughs> to, it's like, okay, Dion's going to be like, never call on me again because I want to stay on this exactly. high note. Yes, it is office gossip Thirty at 37%. Some other things that made the list. Wait, Michelle, I want to hear your answer, though. It was my answer. I'm so oh, glad he was it? right. I was going to say like oh. interpersonal interaction at All right. work. M- yeah. Michelle deserves a ding. A ding. Oh, she got thank it right. you. Yeah, Hands I think up. so. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, Asif gossip, uh, which you know happens all the time but some other ones on the list were interesting meetings they consider this a productivity 
killer, which <laughs> it's really interesting. Smoke breaks or, or snack breaks. And then the last one was sitting in a cubicle. It didn't say what. It just said sitting in a cubicle. And I don't really know, what are you doing sitting in your cubicle? But anyway, that came in <laughs> rounding out the 10. But awesome. All right. So let's go back to Suzanne. So let's talk about about background checks. You guys are doing them, right? This is happening. It does happen. Um, some companies don't do them, though, but most companies do at least a, a brief background check, making sure you don't have any, uh, you know, hidden felonies and uh, verifying that you worked where you worked. What are, what are some common lies you see? Uh, titles. People lie about their titles. Um, people lie about skills that they have. Um, they exaggerate their skills, and uh, sometimes you get people lying about the length of time in a job. Um, one of the things that I'll see on a resume is it'll say, you know, uh, accountant, 1999 to 2001. And anytime I see something without the months, I'm pretty sure that they're trying to hide a short-term job because... A 1999 job to 2000 could be you were hired in December and fired in January. Um, but if you're willing to put your months in there, that uh, that indicates that you... Uh... So are any of these, let's say, quote-unquote, lies, embellishments, however you want to say, are there any of them forgivable? Or you just flat out don't do it? Exaggerating is generally forgivable. You know, I was the lead on this project. Well... I wasn't really the lead. I was, you know, the assistant lead on the project. That's probably going to be forgivable. Um, because in a job interview, we're going to talk about what we did and not what our coworkers did. And we're going to emphasize our skills instead of somebody else's. But if you lie about something major, like um, a, a time in a job or job title sometimes, sometimes a job title thing can be forgivable because... Some companies think it's super cool to give, like, these bizarre titles to people that you don't know what they mean. Um, my, my favorite job title that I ever had was, um, I was, oh, gosh, Senior Consultant HR Transition. Okay. Oh, in the back. Team lead HR transition. What is that? Tell me what I did. Yeah, it's very ambiguous. And, and a resume is a marketing document. So I, I feel like they have leeway to say something that is more commonly understood than saying something like, I was the evangelist for you know, the fun committee of, of, of the operations. Like, what are, what are you talking about? So Exactly. I, and so when you have a crazy title, what I advise is for you to put what you really were in parentheses. So, you know, um, instead of saying, you know, I'm the evangelist for whatever, and then in, in parentheses, you know, senior marketing manager. Right. <laughs> Got it. So the people know how to do that. Then you're not lying, um, and you're not trying to mislead anything. But if you lie on your resume, and it doesn't get caught in a background check, and then for whatever reason somebody checks later, 
they will fire you. Yeah, I, and I, I tell people that all the time, whether it's salary or you say, you know, I've worked, I worked two years in Asia and, you know, and like none of this happened. You, you, you're not safe once you get in there. It will, right. it will come up. And I, this is actually just happening with somebody I know I talked to over the weekend <laughs> at their company. They found out that she really doesn't have the degree she said she had and you know that's it's going to be the end of her employment but we're going to go to bruce in pennsylvania bruce welcome to career talk what's your question hi thanks uh yes yeah, so i was curious about the uh, hr back and forth um you know checking background checks if someone's transitioning a job do they have a hr association where they would swap information you know not that it's illegally, but it just so happens that they may have met them at a function. And so, you know, I know I know Joe Bagadonis over there at XYZ Company, and I can I met him last night. I can call him up on this guy and ask him about. Ooh, good question, Bruce. And I this is this is important for people to know. And um, here's the thing: there is no no reason that I can't go onto your LinkedIn and see people you've worked for and reach out to them. I mean, you can give somebody references to call. And most of the time, people hopefully are going to give people who are going to give them glowing references. But I think HR is getting much more savvy to that and and going to what you call these under the table reference checks. So Suzanne, how is this working nowadays? It absolutely goes that way, and it makes a lot of sense from a, a hiring standpoint. Because if you say, oh, yes, you should call Joe, well, unless you're a complete idiot, Joe's going to give a positive reference because you're not going to give me the name of somebody that hates you. But if I can speak to you know, to Karen, who you worked with, who I know, um, that is a bigger advantage to me. And not just because I'm catching someone behind the scenes who wasn't on your list, but because if I know this person personally, then I know that they're not crazy. And here's one thing about hiring that people don't think about so much, is that if I pick up the phone and I call you for a reference on someone, I don't know anything about you. Nothing. I've never met you I've never worked with you. I don't know you at all. And so when I call and ask about someone and you say, oh, my gosh, they were horrible, and and she did all this horrible, horrible stuff, to be honest, it could have been you that was horrible. And I have no way of knowing because I don't know either one of you. So if I can get through my network and find out about you and that someone that I know and trust, opinion on you, that's going to have a lot more weight than some person I've never met and will never see again. Because let's face it, the number one reason people leave jobs is that they don't like their boss. And some bosses are awful. So just because someone gives a bad reference as a boss doesn't mean that that reference is correct and that you won't be fabulous in the job working for me. So Bruce, is that helpful? Yeah, thank you. I, I guess the answer is yes. The answer is so. definitely Absolutely. yes, and it's not it's not illegal, so people should know that. As a matter of fact, um, and Bruce, thank you for bringing up this very important topic because I think people need to realize this. I, you know, I was reading as I was prepping for this show that, you know, people are making all kinds of assumptions based on what you have out there on social media. I mean, one person basically said that after scanning the person's LinkedIn network, 
I became skeptical about the candidate and didn't really think they had enough industry connections. So I used that information to, to make a decision. So, yes, they're looking. They're looking at your social media. With so many people being connected through LinkedIn and Facebook, chances are they know somebody who knows you. So be aware that is happening. We're going to go to Charles in Boston. Charles, thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk. How can we help you today? Hi there. Um, I actually discovered um, one day that there was a um, almost the equivalent of a, it actually I think falls under the credit bureau laws. There's actually a, a bureau of sorts, uh, it's actually a subsidiary of Equifax, where all the, a lot of the payroll records um, are being dumped into, and uh, I could pull up a report, and it actually showed uh, my recent, literally weekly payroll um uh, you know, my, my payroll is being uploaded into this central database, and it was clear to me that it was a database that all the HR departments could access and actually verify what my payroll was um, at the different companies I'd worked with. And um, I was kind of mortified to see that it existed, but it apparently does. And um, I assume that I have somehow authorized this, which is really more my, uh, I mean, I'm assuming it doesn't exist illegally. And somewhere along the line, when I joined a particular large employer, I must have signed something that authorized them to upload my data into this database. Ooh, interesting. And, and, and yes, yeah. who reads the fine print on the the application that says we're, we're you're giving us permission to do a credit check? You're giving us permission to do a background check. Nobody nobody actually really reads that. So, Suzanne, tell us about this. This is this is interesting. Well, the, the, the question is not what did you sign to have it uploaded? The question is, is what did you sign to let the recruiter look at it? Any of those things regarding your um, credit, which include your finances and your paycheck status, you have to resign. You have to sign a release for that, and that's generally on the application. Now, something that may warm your heart is that the EEOC is really pushing hard to make it illegal to look at credit scores and such for background checks. But salary is a little bit different, and, and this is something that I, I'm currently in a back-and-forth email battle with a recruiter on this. <laughs> um, I don't think it's any of your business what my last salary was if, if you're hiring me. The question is, is what is the job worth? Yes. And I yes. could be making whatever <laughs> that job is worth, and it doesn't matter how much I'm making right now. And but a lot of recruiters see it differently, and they want to know how much I earned in my last job and in my previous job and in my job before that. And to be honest, I, I can't remember necessarily my exact salary from, you know, 2010. I don't know. Um, and why is that a valuable piece of information? Well, again, it's one of those proxy things that if I can see, oh, look, you know, he got an increase every year and a 10% per, you know, increase in pay when he changed companies. And, oh, that must mean he's a high performer. Yeah. But and uh, Suzanne, I hate to cut you off on this. We are we are about to wrap oh, up the no. show. But, um, Charles, this is a really important question. And I think a topic we need to cover in more depth. We, we did it last week. And I think this is, comes up a time and time again, how salary plays into this. Thank you for giving us a call on Career Talk, Charles. And I know the hour goes by so fast, Suzanne. But where can people reach you if they'd like more information? 
Um, you can go to my website, www.evilhrlady.org, or you can email me at evilhrlady at gmail.com, or if you just Google Evil HR Lady, I'm easy enough to find because I am the only real evil. The real evil. The there. really evil. So the thank really you so one. much. Thank you to all of our callers, Michelle and Dion, getting the quiz right. Hey, if you'd like more information, you can go to my website, dawnoncareers.com. You've been listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111.